Hello, welcome to The Gridiron Show. I'm Will Gavin, alongside the editor of Gridiron Magazine, Ollie Connolly, and our features editor, Simon Clancy. And now that we are past the draft, I just can't let these two nerds continue to run riot over this thing <laughs> without some kind of control over them. Uh, so as we start to look towards the off-season, you know, OTAs, training camps, everything coming up in the not-too-distant future, uh, we're starting our off-season programme with a look at the seat, the coaches whose seats are already hot all the way back in May. Uh, gents, firstly, you know, I know we're a few weeks removed from the draft now, but as we start to get into training camps and the storylines that are starting to pick up for for the off-season, how are we all feeling? The schedule's out. Does everyone get excited about schedule release? <laughs> Is that something that people get hyped about to plan trips out to the States? Except- Two nerds, did you say? Yeah. Outrageous. Now we're just three nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm excited this is my favorite time of year because i do the, as you say will the really nerdy analysis this is the time of the year where you can't be wrong you just get to ask questions I, i'm just wondering just wondering what will they run will they run this will they run that you don't have to actually have any expertise or or true analysis because nothing can be wrong at this time of year sounds yeah, like I'm, my time to shine <laughs> i like the um i mean the schedule release is about as interesting as a uh, uh, punch in the face but um I didn't see, I didn't say it. Um, it was about as interesting as a punch in the face, but I did think that the Chargers schedule release, the anime was absolutely outstanding. I thought that was one of the funniest things. And the little details in that were so good. You watch it two or three times, you pick up, a, you know, some bits of some genius moments. Um, I, I'm also 10,000 words into another draft book, which I convinced myself I was never going to do again. <laughs> oh, yeah, but look at this guy and look at this guy. So, yeah, I mean, it's not central, quite frankly. So you were nail on the head there, Will. I, I can't help myself. I have to, like, even if it is an overblown load of nonsense in another way, they try to make the NFL a kind of 365 league. I still can't kind of start scanning through and going, right, if I go and see, if I go to the Niners-Mexico game, which is very much an, uh, a hope and a name for me this year, and then going, right, who's playing in Texas that weekend? Like, I just, you know, I start pouring over it. Who's on Thanksgiving? What games are we going to have on, on air? All that kind of thing. I don't, you know. We've got but, a like, Christmas day in the Clancy household that kicks off with uh, Miami uh, hosting Green Bay. My missus is a Packers fan, so it's going to be it's going to be an absolute Christmas of Palooza. Uh, oh, yeah. how, how do we feel about three games on Christmas Day? Amazing for Christmas the Day, real Christmas Day, sensational stuff. The, the sound of guys who are not having to have the discussion that they're working now on Christmas Day. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the idea that instead of having to watch Mrs. Brown's Boys, I get to like Rams Broncos is sensational. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't think of any better substitution, to be honest. Uh, you know, not that I know who I want to win that game, Russell Wilson against the Rams, but there we go. Um Look, let's get into this big question for this week then, the kind of way too early hot seat conversation. Which head coaches are under real pressure this year and have to perform in order to ensure that they've still got a job going into 2023? And it kind of comes back to that same point of conversation we, we've talked about previously around the draft, that you know, the idea that people are making long-term plans for their organisations and the idea that they are thinking three years, four years into the future can never be the truth for a head coach or a GM who have to be thinking about their job security. So we're going to throw out a few each, see what sticks, maybe pick a bit of a, a consensus. I'll come to you first, Simon Clancy. What's the first name you want to throw out there for somebody who should be worrying I've got, already? I've got two names, one of which is a bit of a, a wild card, which I'll throw later. The first one is Pete Carroll. Ooh, okay. Um, 
Pete Carroll, it strikes me that the Pete Carroll-John Schneider axis, which has been so successful, feels a little bit like the last days of Arsene Wenger, for those of you that don't live in the UK and don't know who that is. He's a football manager who managed Arsenal, incredibly successfully uh, Premier League team. But towards the end, it felt like, obviously there were problems, but it feels like there are only so many words that you can say to a team without beginning to repeat yourself. And it feels as if their run, which has been an excellent one, has come and is coming to an end. And I think, and I can't quite work out, I don't know whether you two have an opinion on this, but I can't quite work out whether or not they're buying themselves an extra year in the mind of Jody Allen, who's the, who took over as, as the owner in 2019. I can't work out if they're buying themselves an extra year by sitting with Drew Locke and thinking, well, we traded Russell Wilson away and this was always going to be a bridge year and they bought themselves an extra year and it's a really smart play. Or they've sort of given up hope because, as Ollie and I discussed uh, nerdily over the last couple of weeks, we still can't get quite get over the fact that Seattle is entering the year with with Geno Smith and uh, and Drew Locke. So I, I think the time is beginning. I mean, I mean was he 70, 71? If, if he gets any whiff that that is the case, and I'm, I'm with you, I feel like this could almost be a bit of diversion away from that being the case. They've got a really, like, we joked about the schedule release this year, but they have to face a very strong NFC West, and they've got the AFC West out of division this year. It's going to be tough for them to have anything like a, a winning record, let alone for anywhere near 500 with that quarterback. Uh, I, do we think that there's any chance they do go and, take that shot at, say, Baker Mayfield because he's got to go, right, I've got to do something. How much I'm is, in real trouble. How much is that helping out? You know, it kind of feels to me like the last days of the last... Baker, Baker Mayfield is better than Drew Locke. It's helping he out quite that's a bit. Saying, but that's like saying, you know, who's the tallest dwarf? I mean, it's the, not the, like the thing they've Locke. done, in fairness, is because they built such a system that was Russell-centric, the nearest comparison in terms of play profile would be Baker. So it would be more seamless where they could just go, oh, dust off the, the 2019 playbook, let's get that out. Now, Baker can't throw the ball down the field, which is Russell Wilson's superpower, which makes everything open up for them, and Baker Mayfield can't, so that's a problem. But if anyone is a perfect fit to go in there as a stopgap, I mean, it isn't Drew Locke, uh, it would be Baker. And now, I, the only thing I'll push back on with the Pete Carroll thing is how they've tried to evolve, at least. I understand that the, the voice in the room, I mean, they've tried to change every player, seemingly. They've smiled bet on the Snyder... Carol Axis rather than Russell Wilson. That seems to be the, the decision the owner made, which is a bit of a strange one. That they have radically transformed the defense. This is not the Seattle team of, of two, three years ago, particularly in terms of style, in terms of how they move, in terms of the kind of formations and alignments they're running. It looks nothing like it used to, even as some of his kind of the guys he had around him, the Gus Bradleys of the world, have tried to cling on to that three-match system. They ran with the Legion of Boom, and that's gone down in, in flames wherever he's walked to. They have tried to evolve and advance, and I think that's one thing you do get with Pete Carroll is there's always a willingness to just ditch whatever is not working and try something completely different. I mean, he just fired some of his best friends in the business. I mean, he, he was pretty ruthless there. So if you're going through this kind of, we're probably three years away cycle, the Rams are just too good. Arizona's got Kyler Murray. You know, it's going to take time for us to build the foundation. Then we'll go chase the quarterback. I think he's a pretty good guy to just keep around for two years, keep the thing, you know, there won't be major scandals. They'll they'll be able to put decent things in place. Then maybe you get someone either off the staff or, or a younger guy who, who comes through comes through and takes in a couple of years. It's an aging yeah. squad as well. I, I, I do. I think the Seahawks are in for a really rough year this year. And actually, ironically, as much as we're saying he's on the hot seat, you feel like Carroll's coaching and the way that he kind of 
gets a locker room behind him in centre and might be the one thing that does get them to six wins or seven wins. But I think it feels like right now that's a result in itself. It just feels eerily similar to me to the last days of Mike McCarthy in Green Bay, um, who will be another coach who would potentially be on the hot seat in Dallas. But I just feel like at some point the Carroll race is beginning. It just feels like the race is run. And I can't see, you know, at what point with a Drew Lock with Drew Lock at the helm, do they, you know, do they get to one and six or one and five and think, you know, this is going swimmingly and this is the direction of travel that we want to go in with a guy who's going to be 70. I know he's contracted to through to, through 2025, but it would be really wild to be like, we're going to roll with Pete and John and then just like finish the thing off 12 months later after letting Russell Wilson go. It's just a, it just, in terms of franchise valuation as a new owner, it's like, why did I do that again? It's just a very yeah. bizarre, bizarre I choice. Know, but also the ownership, I suppose it's a new owner in that because Paul Allen died. So it's not yeah. like a new owner, new owner. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to get rid of the guy that's made your team relevant for the past 10 years, won a Super Bowl's 19th winningest coach in NFL history, et cetera, et cetera. Here's the question I'll throw it to you, Si. If Pete Carroll, because you would imagine they do the Wenger thing, right? He's retiring. He wasn't pushed. And then he leaks. Yeah. I was very much pushed. I wanted I to stay for a Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, do you think that Pete Carroll would coach again in the NFL? Because I think he would do. I think Dan Snyder or one of these older guys, even Jerry, would be like, give me a two-year run with Pete Yeah, Carroll. it wouldn't surprise me, actually. It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I, I would have thought that, you know, for example, someone like Jacksonville, would felt would have felt like a good place if Doug Peterson hadn't been there. But it wouldn't surprise me if he coached again. Absolutely, he doesn't seem to me to be the guy that just says, "Oh, that's it. I want to." He's like Roy Hodgson. If we're going to continue the football, you know, <laughs> you Tenu- the tenuous football nonsense. Yeah, exactly. but I'm not going to lie; it'll feel more like his run at Watford than his run at Palace if Absolutely. that does happen. Uh, look, you threw his name out there, so I'll, I'll throw out there Mike McCarthy because I think it was going to be one of the ones we discussed today. It became a hot name the moment that Sean Payton announced that he was stepping away from a year from the Saints and he's been often linked with that job in Dallas. And, and okay, so two years under Mike McCarthy. First year, they get the Dak injury. They go, what, six and ten? And it's... Yeah, it's not a great year, but there's things they can point the finger to. They have this bit of a resurgence in in year two, 12 and five, go to the playoffs. But, yeah, they lose the 49ers team they probably should beat on paper. And the fact is, is that regardless of what happened with Dak Prescott or not, and whether Sean Payton's out there or not, consistently when Mike McCarthy faces good teams or good coaches he gets out coached and outplayed regardless of the talent on the field I don't actually think he's very good at the job anymore but I think he's got a talented enough roster in an NFC East where he should realistically go and win that division without needing to be very good at his job the the thing that's really tough for Mike McCarthy is his kind of the point of having Mike McCarthy is he's quite a good and I know it doesn't always come across in press conferences or in the media he's basically a philosopher of the game He reads a ton. He studies more than anyone. And he is really, really good at knowing where the game is going, where the mini trends are, and where he can kind of squeeze out 3-5% advantage out of a roster. And he does that kind of at at the macro level. Then he hands that to the coaching staff and says, you figure out the game plan with this kind of long-term vision. So you see what Kellen Moore does with the offense. We saw what happened with Aaron Rodgers. He basically instituted the system that Matt LaFleur is still running with Rodgers. Now, Matt LaFleur is a genius because it's working with Rodgers, whereas McCarthy was an idiot in the final days of the Rodgers era. So that's kind of his role. Now, once you've done that, it's kind of over, right? And then as a head coach, he doesn't call plays on offense, doesn't call plays on defense, doesn't have any hand in the week-to-week game planning on offense and defense for the most part, maybe some ideas here or there. So he's reduced to being the timeout guy. 
and he might be the worst timeout guy in yeah. recent <laughs> football history. So it's, it is very much like, what is his job then on a day-to-day basis? He is no longer involved. The philosophy that they've built around Dak Prescott exists. They picked up Peyton Manning's offense from Denver, sprinkled on some Boise State goodness and said, here we go, let's have a great offense, which works sometimes and it's being poor in other stretches too. That that's job done. The thing that he has to worry about is not even the Sean Payton thing of could Payton come down from the booth midseason? Would he come, you know, after a year sabbatical? Dan Quinn's right there. Absolutely. Dan Quinn is probably regretting that he turned down that Denver job because Russell Wilson skedaddled over there like a fortnight later and he probably wishes he took it. So, Dan Quinn, I'm sure there was some assurance. Look, if this is going off the rails after five weeks, we'll get rid of Mike and you come in, you can at least have a run with, with that defense and being the, the head honcho with the franchise for, you know, 10 weeks, 12 weeks into a playoff run. You're right, Well, they should comfortably win the NFC East, but for them, it's all just about playoff games. And I do really believe that by the time the playoffs roll around, Dan Quinn will be the head coach and not Mike McCarthy. There was this idea that, you know, uh, with Aaron Rodgers' future unsure, with Tom Brady gone from Tampa Bay, that earlier in the year that Dallas should be entering the fray as one of the favourites, put them alongside the Rams as the as the reigning title holders. Now you kind of look at it and you think you'd fancy any of the other division winners if the favourites go on to win it to beat them in in the divisional round, if not losing a wild card game again like they did last year. I don't know. I just nothing about it inspires me but then Dan Quinn did a very good job with that defense last year and particularly you know made himself look like an absolute genius with the way he used Micah Parsons is that enough for him to get another head coaching opportunity after it didn't happen in Atlanta though he he also has that kind of CEO persona that was almost the the, the gold dust in in Atlanta he wasn't very hands-on with the defense in Atlanta once it was installed because they were running such a simplistic Seattle style one there he's become more hands-on with it in Dallas and we saw what that was last year it was a disaster the year before it was excellent last season the big problem they have is just defensive performance is not stable year to year you go up you go down they do not have the playmakers they had last year now you go through the roster and all of a sudden you're like ooh that felt much deeper last year. Oh, they looked a lot more athletic last year. Oh, I really like when Randy Gregory would play 25 snaps as the best sub rusher in the league. When the guy coming off the bench now is not Randy Gregory, that looks quite light. So uh, if, if I was there, you could not in any way. It would be, uh, it would be a minor miracle for Dan Quinn to get the exact same performance level out of that team or even, you know, 5-10% here. I think that they should be planning on that being middle of the pack with some dynamic playmakers, Diggs, Parsons, Lawrence, who could maybe swing them a playoff game, but they cannot rely on that thing. What they need massively is serious improvement on the offensive side of the ball. That thing has to be more consistent, has to be more explosive, cannot just be about Kellen Moore coming up with cool payoff plays and, you know, cool trickery, has to be a sustained machine that regularly posts 30 points a game just throughout the season and just marches through good good defenses. If, if they don't have that, given where they put their chips and the salary cap, then they're in trouble. I don't think this is a better team than it was last year either. That's the concern for me. You look at the roster, you look at what they did in the draft. I thought they hadn't, at the beginning of the draft was fine. But, you know, you lose Namari Cooper, you lose a Randy Gregory. You know, so much was made about what Trayvon Diggs did. But let's be realistic and dig into something beyond the numbers. You know, Trayvon Diggs was at times a liability, especially down the field. You know, he gave up a number of big plays down the field, which you're not seeing guys like Jair Alexander or Jalen Ramsey or Xavier Howard give up uh, with the regularity that Diggs did. Yes, he got a lot of turnovers, but... Um, there's a lot more to it than, than that. What I found really interesting about McCarthy is remember when he was out of football and he hired the guy or he was talking about he, he was working with a guy from what's the game show? The um is it Jeopardy? It might have been Jeopardy, but one of the game shows. And Peter King went and did the, the sit-down interview with him, and he was literally talking about how 
all of a sudden he got so into analytics that when he got a coaching job, he was going to hire the guy who'd won Jeopardy like on six times, six occasions. <laughs> He's like, and I was thinking, what on earth is this? You know, I know the analytics, uh, this is just straight bonkers. And I don't think he's got, I don't think he's got any better as a head coach. And also, I don't think that, you know, cruising through the NFC East last year to a 12 and 5 record is absolutely fine. But that's as that, that's a base minimum, I think, for me, if you're head coach of yep. the Dallas Cowboys at the moment in that division. You know, it, it, it can't be just winning the, the, the division should not be seen as a hallelujah moment. It has to be getting deep into the playoffs. It has to be NFC Championship games. It has to be Super Bowls. And I just don't, A, don't think that he's good enough. B, I don't think this roster is good enough. And C, I, I don't think that Jerry Jones will hang around too long. And whether that is Dan Quinn, whether that is Kellen Moore, or more obviously Sean Payton, which I think is probably the, the answer. I think, you know, this time next year, we'll be sitting here talking about how Sean Payton is the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Go on then, throw us one out, Ollie. We've got a couple well, of big ones we've missed. Yeah, let's let's get the Matt Rule one out of the way then, shall we? Because they, they, as we've said throughout the offseason, that whole infrastructure brain trust there, which is Matt Rule, right? He hired everyone he hired like canteen staff it was the most wild thing classic new owner syndrome i will go and get the rah-rah college coach who's never been in a professional program and and allow him to hire my canteen staff how does that make any sense i I don't understand and they are essentially fired unless proven otherwise right that and that could be in season to try and get a a, you know a head start on the sean payton sweepstakes that could be at the end of the year to go and get the next hot shot I really thought they should have done it this offseason, but they're going to give it one more swing, and they had hoped to try and microwave some success by going and getting one of the big-name quarterbacks. They just couldn't pull off any of those deals. And so now they roll in with Sam Darnold or insert name of Matt Corral as a rookie or trying to go and get Garoppolo or going to get Baker Mayfield, and it just it just does not look good for them. Yeah, I mean, I loved Matt Rule coming out. I thought he'd be a great head coach uh, in the NFL. I really liked what he did. Um but it just everything just feels so wrong about it, and the, the, and I think it goes back to the inability, and it's not just his fault, but the inability to get a quarterback just puts them in a no-win situation. If you're David Tepper sitting out there, you've got to be thinking that a what was it about our ball club that meant that we we couldn't land a quarterback, and b then does that what it. If we get into a situation of bidding war and, you know, this time next year with teams like the Dallas Cowboys, with teams like the Arizona Cardinals, with teams like the Washington Commanders, are we going to win a battle, a head-to-head battle for Sean Payton? The answer is probably no. So Ollie's point is absolutely apposite. You know, at what point in a struggling Carolina season, which I suspect will happen because, you know, Sam Donald's a quarterback, you know, and you're relying on an injury, an injury-addled, you know, Christian McCaffrey, (laughs) I know that they, that they, there are young players on the roster that I like, but you are expecting a hell of a jump up from an awful lot of young players to be able to get into a position in which this is not a fireable season for Matt Rule. And I just think that um, you can't get into a shootout situation with those teams that I mentioned if you're if Sean Payton, if you feel like Sean Payton is the answer because you're just going to lose out. Uh, uh, Tepper still remains as of discussion because the, the Broncos deal hasn't gone through. He's the richest owner in the league. So yeah, absolutely. He could just keep adding zeros, man, until Sean Payton decides, you know what, Carolina, not so bad after all. He could do. He could do. 
I, I'm kind of, there's a little bit of me that's surprised he's even still there now. He followed the kind of the playbook of a guy who's on his way out. Yeah. <laughs> he fired a coordinator near like mid season because he was blaming them rather than taking the blame on himself. And yeah, Joe Brady's a guy who was linked with uh, head coaching jobs. And people were very excited about coming into the league. And okay, you lose Christian McCaffrey. And I've seen those rare Panthers fans who still feel some shred of hope talking about how good they did look through three games when McCaffrey was there, which admittedly they played well to start the season. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'm this part of me that feels like if this was a more experienced owner and a, a situation where, okay, yes, you've got the young players there, but there was a clear development path, maybe yeah. a quarterback coming in that maybe they were just holding on to Matt rule for essentially having him for the year there till they got the guy they actually wanted. But I, I I think Rule could be a good head coach. I think he could be a good second time head coach. He made two really bad decisions, which was he got Phil Snow, who everyone likes as DC, running really creative stuff that they did together in college. And he tried to get ahead of the game in terms of where the league was going. And he just bet on it two years too early. And it's too hard to run such a specific scheme in the NFL because you only have... 20 odd players that you're rolling through on a game day it's not like at Baylor where you can have four specialists running the same thing and you just cycle through one athlete next athlete next athlete you can recruit hyper specifically in college football to build a certain scheme in the NFL you have to be more malleable you're only dressing a certain number of guys everyone's injured all the time and you have to go and get street free agents to slot in on a week's notice and they can't be running a very specific one-off thing that just that guy does on a game day so he made the wrong bet on Phil Snow I think a couple of years too early and then he made the wrong bet on Joe Brady who he he took at the height of his powers running one of the blandest systems in college football that happened to have first rounders galore and one of the most special quarterbacks ever played the game. And I like Joe Brady, but he knew he couldn't bring that offense to the NFL, right? And they brought a completely different offense to the NFL. So he brought the hotshot guy from college to run this really snazzy RBO-based offense to then not run that offense in the NFL when he probably should have just got, gone and got a tried and true Shanahan type person, right? And his whole thing is I'm CEO, I'm program builder. And those are the two massive whiffs that he made essentially. So I, I do think he he'll talk another owner in somewhere to getting a, a job. And I'm with you, Will. If he if the owner wasn't so tempestuous, I think they try and ride it out and give him another chance. But the problem is now he's spinning his wheels because as you mentioned, he knifed Joe Brady threw him completely under the bus and then was just poisoned to the coaching community, right? And he has to go and get McAdoo from wherever McAdoo was hiding out and say, here's my rock star OC. It's Ben McAdoo. <sighs> uh, I've got I've got three more names mm-hmm. uh, on my list. So Simon, you said you had a left field one. Let's see if that's one of them. So this is a left field name, and I do not expect this person to be fired. But I do think, and I also really like them. <laughs> uh, I think you talked myself out of it. Enough caveats. Yeah. So Frank Reich. Yep. Okay. Absolutely down. on my list. I am okay. down. And that, I... that has as much to do with Jim Irsay's like bizarre. Postseason yeah. comments where out of nowhere he was like, "Yeah, I considered firing everyone." It's like, "Wait, whoa, 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 that, was, yeah. that wasn't on any, that wasn't <laughs> yeah. on the radar." It was just outside Lentz. a private plane, rambling to a camera where you couldn't really hear what he was saying. But maybe that's for the best. Like, I get that you pin almost all of that collapse at the end of the season onto Carson Wentz, right? But I feel like that you know, when are we going to acknowledge that Reich also has a lot of responsibility? For for, for what happened there as well, because, you know, he was the guy that brought him in. He was the guy that bounced for him. He was the guy that sort of talked about how he was his, like, second son. I just think that 
there have always been these sort of slightly tumultuous stretches during a cult season that he's been at the helm at. And I can't really work out why, because I, I think he's an excellent leader of men. I think he's a really good coach. I think he's a great front office with Chris Ballard and Ed Dodds. They've got good players. You know, you go, you go through that roster and you look at, you know, position by position, generally, it's full of really good players or really good under-the-radar players. They've always found good guys that they can draft. Where, you know, I just... That there is a disconnect somewhere. Maybe that's ownership. Maybe that's, and I feel like he's almost been bailed out by the by the Matt Ryan trade. But at some point, the rubber's got to meet the road with Frank Reich, and they've got to get a, a decent push into the playoffs because it's a playoff team that's not getting into the playoffs. The defense took a big drop off as well last year, despite having excellent talent at, at every level, and. Okay, Eber Flus is now gone and actually gone and got himself a head coaching job despite his bad second half of the year last year. You've got to rely on both sides of the ball to do well. And so Gus Bradley has to come in and hit the ground running as well. And he should do with the the players they've got on that side of the ball. Can't see why he wouldn't. Uh, You say that, but Gus Bradley's defences have been a a horror show for six years Mm -hmm. now. He just has refused to move at the times of the game. I mean, you can go through every single time the Chiefs look like they're in trouble. They played a Gus Bradley defense and they got right back on track. They would just hang 40 on him and it was teaching tape of how to shred cover three. Just one after last year, oh, teams figured out Patrick Mahomes. Everyone's playing too deep. Gus Bradley bleeped that. I'm, I'm doing cover three and I'm rolling strong. And there goes the ball flying past everyone's head. And Patrick Mahomes is dropping 45 on his head two out of three weeks. So I, I know, I mean, the Everflues thing is mad because they they were never that good under him, really. I mean, the style they played, you know, it was, it was so conservative and restrictive that they kind of juiced their own figures to, to help themselves out in terms of the numerical department. I think they ended up finishing like eighth in defensive efficiency anyway last year, but they looked bad for, for large stretches at the second half of the year. And they rely so much on turnover look. And, you know, Darius Leonard is on pace to be the, the greatest force fumbler in the history of the game. Mm-hmm. And it, can that just continue? Year after year after year, he is a really special player, but that is just not a, a skill that traditionally carries over unless you're Peanut Tillman and you create a new brand of, of doing this thing, which, which he is not. So, yeah, I, that would be a concerning one for me with him. I, as we mentioned, Ursay is going to be looking for any excuse because he's just that kind of owner. And they've done move after move at the quarterback spot. And the next one you would just imagine would be changing the, the coach for coach's oh. sake, even though I just stick with him. You know, I would stick with him. I'd try and find a better defensive coordinator. That that would be my long-term plan. The, the issue for me, I think, and you go through that roster and, and you kind of feel like quarterback, they're in decent hands of Matt Ryan, running back obviously with Jonathan Taylor, but you know, drafted they picked up CJ Burdell, they drafted Devonta Price, Naeem Hines is there. Wide receiver is a bit of an issue. Alec Pierce has been really good apparently in the first couple of days, but it is mini camp in terms of you know, rookie mini camp, obviously alongside um, Michael Pittman, tight ends are fine. There's a question mark about left tackle. Is Bernard Ryman going to play there? And then defensively, you look at that defensive line and, you, you know, DeForest Buckner, you've got Yannick Ngakwe, who they did the Rocky Sin trade with, uh, uh, Dayoda Yingbo, who I really liked out of Vanderbilt, Quitty Pay, obviously the first round of last year. Linebackers are strong, apart from Darius Leonard, Bobby uh, Okariki, or Okara, however he pronounces, wants to pronounce his name this week. He's like Andrew Andy Cole. The, the, the question for me is cornerback, actually, and, you know, what can they get out of Stephon Gilmore? Because, you know, Kenny Moore is a great slot guy, but in terms of outside corners, I like the safeties. I think Julian Blackman's a really good player. But, you know, if they can get a tune out of out of uh, Stephon Gilmore, then, you know... Defense... Gilmore was excellent in Carolina the back last year, and they played oh. him inside a lot, and they played him inside and off, which is interesting, and absolutely nothing like he's ever played before, and I'm guessing because he was breathing heavily for the first yeah. six weeks, because I think well, he'd yeah, been in Miami for, for 12 weeks having a good old time, so... Um, yeah. 
I, that's interesting because he just does not really fit the, the Gus Bradley mo. So I, I have no idea where they're going to line him up. But it's, if they can if they can get even the Carolina level out of him, that is a huge huge move for them. If they can somehow get the anywhere near the Patriots one, then then that is something pretty special. I, I just don't think that defensive line is very good. I think Buckner is good, but you can double someone inside, and Gakwe is not a good player. He's a name player. He doesn't play very well. Um, and they only brought him in because of he's Gus Bradley's guy, and they run such a specific yeah. scheme. And the, the, the fact that they are so in on the Gus Bradley experience in 2022 is the thing that would would worry me. You know, that was something the head coach has decided he wants to do. As you mentioned, Sai, him and him and Ballard work together on um, the personnel stuff. So they have clearly decided they're going with that style of defense, and that's just not going to work in 2022. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and the, what you're asking for on that defensive line as well is those two, the first and second round pick from last year that I mentioned. Um, Oddie Yingbo and Pay to really step up and have big yeah. seasons. I, I mean, you know, four sacks for Quitty Pay last year. I'm not even sure how many Deo had half a sack last year. So, you know, you're you're expecting four and a half sacks to go up to the, you know, close to the to the twenties, aren't you? And that's a hell of a leap for for two players. Ollie, go on, throw us out another one. It's got to be Lovey Smith with the Texans. God love him. <laughs> God love Paul Lovey because they didn't want him in the first place, right? They wanted Josh McCown. They weren't allowed to hire Josh McCown because Josh McCown has never coached any level of football. And they were involved in a lawsuit about hiring people who were jumping the front of the line ahead of uh, minority coaches. So they're like, oh, bleep, we're going to have to go and hire a minority coach. And they, they picked Lovey Smith from their staff when, on reflection, they should have just kept David Cully for another year and let him, him keep rolling that thing. And they're most likely going to be bad. I actually think that they they had a really good draft, you know, for for an organization that just is walking competence. I thought they had an excellent draft, and I think they're going to have some foundational pieces there as long as the whole thing doesn't come dismantled by what will like likely be a lot of losing and just you know have a loser culture sets in and stuff starts happening off the field. That's the only thing I think could get them, but they're just not going to win enough games. And I imagine that they're just doing this Lovey Smith thing for an eight week to one year. Uh, stopgap until they can go and get someone who they really want, which would be off that Patriots tree or would be McCown. Yeah, I agree, hundred percent. I mean, it, it just feels like David. Um, it feels like um, God, what's his name? I was going to say David Tepper. Um, <laughs> who was the coach? The McNairs. Uh, no, no, no. Who was the coach before? Oh, uh, Cully. Oh, Cully. Yeah, it feels like David Cully two point doesn't it? I mean, I agree. I I truly believe they wanted to hire Josh McCown until the whole sort of Brian Flores situation led them to that sort of slightly less controversial decision of hiring their current defensive coordinator. I actually don't think he was too bad in Chicago, but I think the Tampa Bay years were an absolute disaster. I mean, I love a man with a good beard, but you know, that's not going to necessarily take you to the the promised land. I, I, I think it's an interesting transitional year in a way for, for Houston. You know, you talk about the players, you know, this is the, obviously I like Davis Mills coming out of Stanford you know, 13 games he played, but I thought he had a really nice upside and, and you saw a little bit of that last season. You're obviously expecting guys like Damian Pierce, the, the, the kid they draft out of Florida to step up because the running back situation is not great. You know, reliance obviously on Brandon Cook staying healthy. But you kind of look at the you look at the names and you think, you know, if Nico Collins trains on a bit, if John Metchie's recovered from the injury, you know, there's some, you know, if Brevin Jordan, you know, steps up, obviously offensive line is is in a significantly better place than it was. And the Deshaun Watson years, obviously the question marks about Larry Tunsil and his health, but Tyus Howard and and those guys. And then defensively, there's some interesting, young, interesting names that, you know, people around the league don't necessarily know about. But it feels like an interesting nucleus being put together, but it just doesn't feel like a nucleus that is going to be winning 
a lot of games, and I think that will ultimately. But you kind of wonder, like, where are they going to go? Do you know what's their the thing that's mad for them is their best players are players they should try and trade. Like, I don't know why on their timeline they they refused to move Brandon Cooks last year. Yeah. I know he gets moved every year, but they were offered second round picks last year. They're like, we're only doing it for two ones or nothing at all. It's like, what? Well, why? What? What? What, yeah. what are you guys trying to achieve, Laramie Tunsil? Right? They just got to take the L on the deal and move. Yeah. That those guys that are their best, most impactful players outside of this rookie class that I think is really talented are guys they should absolutely be trying to drain as much value out as possible. Yeah. No, I agree. Jonathan Green is a good player. You know, you're expecting a lot out of Stingley and and um, Jalen Petrie to, to step up early on, but it, it just feels like there's just not enough talent and probably the not enough belief in, in Lovie Smith. They're kind of, you know... Like like Ollie said at the top, it felt like they kind of had to make that higher, and and that's never going to end well. And they were a terrible defense last year, and you know they they put all that value into Derek Stingley, and there is not a worse fit in the league really than Derek Stingley going to play in a Lovey Smith defense. So they're already probably looking at each other like, oh man, the most valuable guy in our building now is is not a fit in in the in the scheme of the head coach. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think people who have been long term fans of the show would have seen my next name coming. Cliff Kingsbury. Ah, oh, I forgot yeah. about Cliff. I mean, right. how did we forget about Cliff? I forgot Cut. about Cliff. It's because we've been nailing him for three weeks straight. Right. Come I on. Choose, I didn't but... choose him because I thought it would be so obvious we could do it. All the Arizona like, fans hate me for, for you know. Seriously, outside of the fact that they're going to be missing DeAndre Hopkins at the start of the season and they make a dreadful trade for Marquise Brown, who is barely a number two receiver, <laughs> has bad hands and has been, okay, maybe he goes into a system where he knows the quarterback and that's going to keep them happy. But there's no way that what they paid for him was reasonable by any stretch of the imagination. They're going to be starting the year at wide receiver with who knows what AJ Green is at this point, although better last year than I expected him to be. Marquise Brown and Rondale Moore. It's very gadgety, potentially. And then there's this whole thing about how in the second half of the year, as we all know, Cliff Kingsbury drops off and, and falls off a cliff. So when you've got to start hot, you've got no DeAndre Hopkins, who was basically the entire crux of your offense last year. This and, and OK, we mocked the schedule release and everything else. Can I just give you their second half of the season schedule for the uh, for the Arizona Cardinals from week 10 onwards? They're at the Rams, the 49ers in Mexico, the Chargers, the Patriots at the Broncos, Buccaneers. Admittedly, they have the Falcons one week from uh, the, on the penultimate week of the season. But then they finish the season at the 49ers. They could easily go one and eight down that. Oh, stretch. yeah. Hey, don't rule and, out the fighting Desmond Ridders. You know. Don't rule out 0-9, mate. I mean... <laughs> So, honestly, they cannot ignore it. If they somehow limp to another wildcard spot even, they cannot ignore that fact. The, the and... problem they have is they've just given him a four-year deal. Yeah. Now, maybe they'll want to get out of it, but Bidwell is not. I mean, Bidwell is due. No, he has been very much about the medium term. He always gives guys time. He, like, buys into wholeheartedly whatever is presented to him in the interview. He's like, yes, and we'll follow that through to its natural conclusion. And... Kingsbury's in the fortunate position of his quarterback's too good to get him fired. So he'll probably, you know, look his way into nine games baseline and then maybe he can help them win one. Probably not. The, the biggest concern he has is how bad that defense looks. And I love Vance Joseph and what they did last year was some of the coolest, wildest shit you will ever see a defense do. Amazing. And then they, he got stuff out of that defense. They had absolutely no right getting out of it once JJ Watt went down. And I know it fell off a cliff, but if you go and watch the tape, man, it's that they are outrageous of what they do they could have been the worst defense in the league based on some of the personnel they're rolling out there in certain weeks to then rip Chandler Jones out of that 
no chance. And to think JJ Watt will be healthy the full season, no chance. Think Marcus Golden can do that again, who's a player I love, but is always injured, no chance. They are in. And then they put all the chips into trying to address an offense that was like, that was not the issue, guys. The issue was not having quick, small players. You have plenty of those. You can go find those guys all over the place. The issue is the entire design and the reliance, like you said, Will, on our entire game plan is second and medium, third and long, throw the ball up to D-hop and hope for the best. I think we're all in agreement on that one. I don't think I mean, there's I any hate, need I to... hate Clifton. <laughs> I think he's a terrible coach. And as Ollie and I discussed last week or the week before, you know, and you just made the point there, Will, is that when it gets to mid-season, they always start really strong and then teams just go back and like look at their how vanilla they are on offense. And, and like down the stretch last season was an absolute embarrassment. It was an embarrassment. It was a high school offense. Couldn't move the ball. I mean, some of those games, the playoff game was an absolute... I mean, if I was Steve Kime, I'd have taken a vein at halftime. It was so bad. It was just... Uh, and, the you know, you look at that defensive line and you just think, how are they ever going to get... The, the way they have to create to get to the quarterback is, you know... I mean, they're going to have to use Isaiah Simmons, Jesse Lucata, MyJ Sanders and Zayvon Collins to pretty much on every down to try and get to the quarterback because nobody else is getting there, certainly not on the that defensive line because like us like Ollie says a big fan of Marcus Golden JJ Watt how many games can you rely on him on and you've just taken you know probably a, a, a very under the radar Hall of Famer type player in, in Chandler Jones out of that out of that system so yeah I just think he's so overrated uh, I think he's um and also the, the other question is look uh, what what's Kyler's mental state of mind coming into this season you know where is he in terms of the whole situation with his contract and those sorts of things. Um, yeah, the health I, is the big thing for him too. You know, he's been yeah. banged up the set. The, those second half of the year splits have as much to do when you watch him. He's not as quick in the second half of the year. He's tentative taking off, and they've they they explode out the gates because they're playing one on one football across the world, and they have the quickest quarterback in the league. So if he's playing one on one against you. You know, Lamar's slipperier. Uh, Kyler is quicker in a straight line, so he outruns everyone. You can it just we, it's proven now you cannot do that for a twenty-one game season to win a Super Bowl. So yeah. you have to do what the Bills are with Josh Allen, which is we are running the worst offense in the league for eight weeks because we don't care because we'll win games because that guy's special. And then as the season goes along, we'll do all the creative stuff and we'll save it for AFC title games, for AFC divisional rounds. They go the complete other way and they throw everything out the gate right up top, like Sai said. And then everyone's seen it once, and Kyler's getting hit too much, and he slows down in the second half of the year. But look, look at the look at the players they've got. And if Kingsbury had any sense, you would alter this offense to make it much more tight end heavy, extra tight end personnel. Because the strength of your team is Zach Ertz, Trey McBride, Max Williams in terms of you know what you can do. Because without D Hop for the first six games, I mean you're looking literally at Hollywood Brown, ninety four year old AJ Green, and Rondell Moore, who hasn't stayed healthy since his junior season in high school. Um, you know, the running back situation, obviously James Conner scored 20 touchdowns last season. That's great. But, you know, Chase Edmonds is gone. You're relying on Eno Benjamin who's not done a great deal. I just, I don't, I don't see how they're going to move the ball consistently um, beyond Kyler just having to run around like a mad thing. And then, you know, taking extra hits, find an offensive line that's not very good. And then a defense that can't get to the quarterback and therefore can't stop anybody. Okay, so... And I'm here for his downfall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, it will be a day of celebration when it happens, even if it's within division. And I quite like the fact that he's quite bad. Um, firstly, are there any obvious ones we're missing? Is there anything we've not thrown out there? Like Cliff Kingsbury, where we, we're going to look back on this and go, yeah. how on earth did we not mention 
the only one I can think of that we haven't discussed is like this Patriots OC situation, which is like they just won't hire. They're all looking at each other. Apparently, Joe Judge failed, special teams ace failed, you know, head coach. He's got to run the offensive line for reasons that are unclear. You know, Matt Patricia, defensive wizard, failed head coach. He's going to run the offense uh, in part, but not call the plays. Bill Belichick will call the plays and design the game plan, even though he's doing the defensive game plan. Bill Belichick's doing special teams. <laughs> can, can we ask a genuinely serious question about um, the longitude of Bill Belichick? Don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, don't do it. Feels like a legitimate question we've asked about another man who. He's, not, he's obviously never going to get sacked, but at what point. If you're Robert Kraft, do you think this looks like? A Did he not just game? take the guy who was the fourth drafted quarterback and make him the best rookie quarterback in the league without a receiver who could separate from man coverage? Did we not just watch that last year? But he wasn't actually that good down the stretch. Oh, was he? There's no one open. He was. He was the. He was the best rookie quarterback in a class which underwhelmed in their rookie. But season. he was fat. His league, league average from a rookie is pretty good, and no one separated from man coverage. That defense was unbelievable for 12 weeks until they all got hurt. It's. I don't know. I, you, you guys, you want to you want to pour stuff on the grave? You go ahead. I, I'm not going to no, be the one to do it. This is a, I'm, I'm it's a totally separate conversation. It is a totally separate conversation uh, that's maybe for a different podcast. Mm-hmm. By the end of this season, he is the third best quarterback from that class, maybe the fourth. Like, I, I think once people have had more time in a system, once people have better things around them, once I think Trevor Lawrence takes a leap this year, I'm going to throw out that I think Trey Lance is going to be good this year and I don't care what anyone says. Like, I think actually Mac Jones, like you say, league average. He might be league average and they'll be happy with that. But At the end I'm of not the season, buying that it was some, you know, phenomenal but, thing that they achieved. At the end of the season, where will Mac Jones be ranked in uh, NFL quarterbacks from Alabama? <laughs> One, two, or three. <laughs> well, behind Bryce, if we could, if Bryce is then eligible. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, the, guys, the guys that are in the league this season are in the ranked. I still think first. Fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even finish my rant about last year's draft class, where I think Zach Wilson takes a bit of a step forward this year. And even though Justin Fields is surrounded by a crap show in Chicago, I think he personally will be seen as a good player. So... Yeah, I'm just saying there's four other quarterbacks there who uh, got a chance to move ahead of Mac Jones this year. Uh, I'm going to throw out one, despite what I just said about Trey Lance, though. And I think Kyle Shanahan is under more pressure than people kind of will realise from the outside right now. Mostly because of another off-season of horrible coaching departures. Mike McDaniel's obviously being a big one for him and what they do with that scheme there. But this whole Debo Samuel situation, as much as people want to point towards money, his usage, the whole running back wide receiver thing. From what I understand, the departure of Wes Welker was a big, big part of why Debo Samuel isn't happy in San Francisco right now. And Wes Welker had a contract on the table to stay and they just didn't offer him enough money to keep him in the building. He went with Mike McDaniels. If Apparently, what they offered him was insulting. So if that is true, and Carl Shanahan ends up having a bad year this year, and he's made players unhappy, he's made coaches unhappy, I just think that it it could be a shock one at the end of the year where they suddenly look and go, actually, I know there's been the injuries and everything, but we've really only had one great season and one good season There's a bit of a Mike Shanahan thing here where he could get to a point where he's just pissed off enough people that they just decide it's not worth it. It might not be this year, but I just think is I can't see him being there another 10 years right now, that's for sure. There's always a shocker, and he's a good one to have on the list. I just feel like, and maybe I'm just more removed from you, Will, who's probably following it more intimately day to day, that 
if anyone was going to go, it would be John Lynch, and they would do one year of a you know a plaster at GM with Kyle there. That he if he left, he would be the most sought after coach in the market, irrespective of the actual record. The reputation is so bonkers. And if you're any of these coaches saying, well, let's go and grab one of these guys from McVeigh or Shanahan tree, oh wait, I could just go grab the guy who is the tree. He would be, you know, David Tepper would throw all the money in the world in to go to Carolina. And so once that starts becoming percolating in those final weeks of the season, I just can't imagine San Francisco being up for allowing that to happen and then jumping back into the Jim Tom Sula sweepstakes and all the, the terrible coaches they had, you know, post Harbour. Like I say, I think it's a it's a left field one, but I just he sits in potentially in that same to mention previous coaches, Jim Harbour region of someone who may just, and if we want to go back to the football analogies, Jose Mourinho, Antonio Conte, <laughs> those guys who can have three or four brilliant years, but will never get enough people on sides to have a long-term placement somewhere. I'm, I'm not saying I think it's, you know, I'm not suddenly saying he's got a hot ass right now, but I just think that a bad start to the year and people might start suddenly looking and going, actually, this one we should be worried about the one i would keep an eye on which is a bit left field is robert Sala, because i think he is widely regarded as being a good head coach who's in a bad situation where it's a bad jets team and they're at the start of the rebuild and i think that is true they also had the worst defense in the nfl last year by efficiency in atlanta finish of 18 sacks so to be that bad is is like you were trying to throw games which i don't think they were trying to do down the stretch and zach wilson is so bad that it's it's like not even funny at this point i mean Sai, i know you and i talked about it last week and i went back to watch him we were i was in the middle of re-watching him when, when we spoke about it and that the first six weeks are such an apocalypse. If you go through the advanced metrics and EPA, extra points added per play, they would have been better off with him throwing the ball on the ground for six weeks straight than him dropping back to take a pass. That's never happened for more than a game in the history of the NFL ever. And he did it for six weeks straight. There'd be more value in just ditching the ball every single play. Then he gets okay-ish after he returns from the injury for those final four or five weeks, whatever it is. And yet it was still terrible. It just went from apocalypse to a regular old disaster. So if that happens uh, early in this season and the defense, which is his calling card, is still terrible. And Woody Johnson is not a good guy. He's not a good owner. He's not good at this. You know, you would say, well, let's go get this guy another quarterback. This coach is a good coach. I could see them be, being the team that pulls a surprise and just once again gets back on the merry-go-round. So messy at the Jets. Any any last ones we want to throw out as the maybe surprises? I mean, I mean, Bill Belichick was about as surprising as it came, but uh, though the name was never really uttered. Any other ones out there that people just think? Mm. I've got two names for you. Okay, <clears throat> one more likely. <clears throat> Excuse me, Ron Rivera. I had Ron Rivera down. Yeah. yeah. I, I, the more I think about Ron Rivera, the more I think to myself. I just expect them to have another average season and that's not going to be enough. I think unless it's a disaster, they like the man and they like the culture and they like the... Well, they need a meat shield to protect them from Congress at the moment. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. they're not firing the coach until they have a new owner, basically. Yeah, that's a good deflection. I think the other good deflection, as we talked about last week, is Sam Howell. I think if they get Sam Howell in early and he starts to show a little bit, then I think Rivera could, could comfortably say, look... This is the this is the journey of travel we're on. The other guy I think is worth bearing in mind, given you know not as much of a shit show as what's happening in Washington, but there is certainly some shit show going on, and that's Kevin Stefanski. Um, you know, that's in- a good left field one. That is a good left um, field one. I think that is a very interesting situation, uh, and just one that kind of 
God, imagine if you're Kevin Stefanski and you allow yourself to sell your soul to the idea of Deshaun Watson to go out there and okay he never endorsed it fully but he also never came out and said not sure about this and then you don't even get to play him for a game because he's suspended and then you get fired yeah wouldn't surprise me. It would not. That, uh, the league, couldn't I, I'm now thinking of writing a column where we're based on Will's uh, inside intel of a, of a of a Shanahan trade to Cleveland. <laughs> <laughs> Prodigal son returns. I've seen. I've that, seen that, stranger things. That's not bad. That isn't bad, not bad guys. Uh, I love it. I absolutely love it. It feels like uh, we we need to do a what if podcast <laughs> of just the absolute out there trades that we could suggest or moves that we could make that would ne- maybe never happen but would be just earth shattering if they did um look as always uh, like rate review subscribe all those things you can do over all the various different places it really does help more people find the show we really appreciate it. if you have a big question you want us to address one week we've kind of tackled the hot seat situation this week then at gridiron on twitter at uk gridiron on instagram fire them in uh, we will pick out the best ones and, and do shows on them. Uh, and otherwise, look out for the great content, the magazine. Uh, I've seen the kind of the expected slate for this year, the plans, which obviously all go out the window eventually, but there is some sensational stuff on there that's going to be well worth your time and that very small amount of money you have to pay for such a quality product. So go and check it out. Uh, otherwise, thank you for listening and watching. This has been The Gridiron Show. Gridiron.